The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey guys, welcome to the Sneaky Truth Podcast. I am Mark Schler, live from my uh, home in Alaska, where I my childhood home in Alaska, where I grew up. And uh, joining me, the program, Mike Evans, as always. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm great. Please tell me that there's a good chance that during our conversation, a bear will like walk up to that window behind you and peer in, or a moose, or some, right. some Alaska wildlife. <laughs> There is a good chance of that happening. Uh, we will be on alert if you see a bear behind me because there's some bird feeders back there. So that's where they come in and eat the bird seed occasionally. So uh, if you see one, alert me and I will take you out to the porch, set you up, and then I'll wrestle the damn thing. That's uh, that's <laughs> all right. I will pin it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that you're you're back home and your childhood home. You're with your dad poolside, which is uh, mm-hmm. awesome. No doubt that as soon as we get done with this podcast, you have a whole list of chores that you have to get done. Probably some stone to lay down, trees to cut, things like that. Yes, decks to paint, exactly. that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. let's talk some football. You know, there have been a lot of great accomplishments in football. A lot of great streaks, a lot of great um, records that have been set. But is there anything bigger than the one that went down yesterday? The Baltimore Ravens' 24-game preseason winning streak is no more as the Washington Commanders beat them on a last-second field goal and then celebrated like they had just won a Super Bowl. I know. And how You know what's crazy about that? 24 straight games went back to 2015. So uh, it was funny because my father and I, poolside, we're, we were watching the game. And a couple of years ago, I was doing a Ravens-Seattle game. And I took uh, my father met me in Seattle, and so he went to the he went to the meetings with us, right, with the production crew, and he met John Harbaugh, and John said to him, "Oh, you're in better shape than your son," which of course is the worst thing you could ever say to poolside, right? Because then he just ate it up. So last night we're watching the game. I go, "Oh, there's John Harbaugh." Remember we went, you know, to the production meeting, and he goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." He goes, "That's the guy." He goes, that's the guy that told me I was in better shape than you. And that's when I became a lifelong Ravens fan. That's what my dad said. <laughs> so I texted John and uh, like he, he said, say hi to your dad. And what's true is true. And, you know, he thought it was hilarious. But anyhow, um, it's kind of one of the like the the most ridiculous records in the history of the record book. Right. And like it, it's meaningless, but it does mean something. Yeah. And here's a team that, you know, has won Super Bowls. Uh, or a Super Bowl um, has how many? Have, have they been to? They've won one. Have they been to more than one um, under John? No, I think they just won the one against San Francisco. But the, the bottom line is, it's a team that's consistently in the playoffs. It's a team that kind of changes its identity on occasion with the quarterback and everything else. Um, they are just a solid football team, and it does, as I always say, they don't count, but they do matter. It does matter the way you approach this. It does matter the way you play, and 
it's it's to me it's pretty remarkable i know it doesn't mean anything but it's pretty remarkable does it help washington for them to come out and some of their players calling their shot before the game they're going to end this streak and then to see them react the way that they did hey we're seeing it here in denver sean payton's talked about how hey we're we're trying to make it known that winning matters winning is the standard whether it's preseason or not so when you're seeing a washington team that's kind of trying to do the same thing, if they're embracing the idea of trying to win and they react in a positive way after they've won, preseason or not, doesn't that help? I think, you know, I think it does. Sam, Cos- I think it's Cosme that played uh, either tackle or guard for them, was doing an interview before the game, said, hey, you know, it's probably a pretty meaningless record, da 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 but we're going to try to win, and uh, damn it, like he, he predicted a win. And, you know, we get, uh, but it's meaningless, but it's not meaningless. Like winning and winning is contagious, just like losing is contagious. And show me a team that's okay with losing. And I'll show you a team that's made a full of losers. You know, that's the old quote. I, I didn't say it right, but you know what I'm saying? Like the, winning is one of those learned behaviors. One of those things that you have to constantly work on. Um, you know, it comes down to culture and what the culture of my building and culture of expecting to win and the culture of going out there and doing what it takes and playing hard and, you know, all those things are important. And, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's big for Washington. The other thing about Washington, it's just like, you know, it's like mowing your lawn, like th- that whole community right now. They're so excited. And if you watch the game, um, Josh Harris was on there, the new kind of managing partner of that conglomerate that bought the, the Washington Commanders. And um, that's like, you know, that's like mowing your lawn after the pooper scooper crew has been over there and cleaned up all the dog crap right i mean that's like you can mow your lawn with your chest puffed out you can strut and not worry about getting shit in your shoes right that's <laughs> that's what that's like and that's what everybody in washington feels like right now is they're walking around with their chest puffed out feeling really good about their franchise and then all of a sudden you win a game against the baltimore ravens they haven't lost in you know since 2015 24 straight preseason games makes you pr- feel pretty good about you know, the direction your franchise is going. I don't know what it means. I, I really don't know what it means for the regular season, but it can't hurt. I know that. And I'll tell you the other thing about just the NFC East in general. You know, Philadelphia seems to be the class of the NFC East, but I think every one of those teams has a chance to be competitive in that division. I think the Giants, um, they've they have gone out and they've got some new young talent. And I think what they've done um, – you know, I think their quarterback's playing with some confidence. I watched their game the other night, their second preseason game. Daniel Jones looked great. Uh, Darren Waller, the addition of Darren Waller, it like just adds another element to what they are offensively. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, they're the defending NFC champions. The Cowboys, you know, are the Cowboys. They're always predicted to be good. They'll probably crap in their helmets. So I don't, you know, worry about it. But I think Washington's got some – I don't know what Sam Howell will be, but he's a young, talented kid that they loved last year when he was kind of cutting up their defense and practice squad. Like it, That's a really interesting division to me. Yeah, you mentioned Dallas, but at some point, don't the Cowboys have to figure it out? For all the, for all the talk that, that they generate or is generated by people talking about them, at some point, doesn't it have to pop for these guys doesn't have to work there. There's too much talent there, right? Yeah. There, I mean, there's a ton of talent. What was Dak Prescott going to be? What's going to look like with Mike McCarthy calling plays? Um, you know, they just, they just are that team that 
seems to figure out a way to, you know, to choke when it's time to choke. Like in in the pressure packed moments, they just find a way to lose games. They they just find a way to. I I don't know what that is, Mike. I don't know if that's you know if that's Jerry Jones always circumventing the the authority of the coach. I don't know what it is about that organization, but they always they're they're kind of like the Chargers of the you know, of the NFC, they're just going to find a way to screw something up at some point. Um, and you can almost count on it. You can almost rely on it. So it'll be interesting. You would think under Jerry Jones, with all the success he had early, taking over the Cowboys and Jimmy Johnson and all that, at some point that team's got to win. But the, the bottom line is whether they do or whether they don't, they're always going to be super popular. They're always going to be a ratings bonanza. It's almost like it doesn't matter. Um and I don't know if that maybe that hurts them, that they're always going to be so popular that even if they lose, like most of us, if we lose, if, if our team starts losing, then we're, you know, we, we become irrelevant. Look at the Denver Broncos. You and I live in Denver. Uh, the Denver Broncos start losing and they become an irrelevant football team. They, they, I mean, they're no longer a national draw on the four o'clock window Eastern. You know, they're just like, ah, get rid of the Broncos. It only took a couple of years. Dallas will never, ever, because of their popularity, lose their kind of – I don't think they'll ever lose their appeal in America, whether you hate them or whether you love them. They always draw a rating. Well, a great example of that, look at the Patriots. Gold standard, 20 years. And yet, almost overnight, they've gone to just kind of being an also-ran to, yeah. to a team that is just – yeah, they're there, but – they just don't generate the same kind of heat anymore. And where are you at with them, with, with the Patriots? Because there's there's a growing sense that Bill Belichick could be coaching for his job this year. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that he'll be coaching for his job, but I think the scrutiny will be on him. There's no question about that. And Bill Belichick has been, you know, everybody will sit there and say, hey, he's the greatest coach in, in the history of coaches. You and I have this conversation all the time about – um, about is it the coach, is it the players? You know, obviously Tom Brady has a lot to do with the success they had over 20 years. There's no question about that. Setting a tone, not only playing great, but also allowing your coaches to grind on everybody because Tom Brady likes to be coached that way. So, you know, there's a huge cultural aspect of what Tom Brady brought to that organization. Um, but, you know, they've got to figure it out. They spent a first rounder on Mac Jones and then and then absolutely handcuffed him last year by having, um, you know, a defensive coordinator, special teams coach coach him as co-offensive coordinator. So they've kind of rectified that. It'll be interesting. You know, all the juice right now in that division goes to the Jets, number one. And I mean, by a long shot, a long margin. And then probably after the Jets, don't you kind of think it goes, you know, probably Buffalo, then Miami and then. I mean, just from just from overall juice. So even if the Patriots, you know, are pushing for a playoff berth, they're not going to be a headline. They're not going to be a team that you're going to go, okay, we've got to, uh, you know, we've got to flex this team out of a Sunday night game and put the Patriots in because there's, they just don't have that juice right now. Explain to me what's going on with the Colts. So they've already made it clear that they don't want to pay Jonathan Taylor. Yes. Like, a a top-notch elite running back uh, or, or just player. They don't want to pay him. Yet, when it comes to trading, if you want to trade for Jonathan Taylor, they want a first-round pick in exchange. Right. Do, do you notice kind of the mixed messages there? On one hand, we don't consider you elite to pay you, but if we're going to trade you, 
we want elite compensation in return. Sure, but that's, I mean, again, this goes back to the contract that was negotiated with the Players Association, the way the owners have got you. And, you know, for Jonathan Taylor, I mean, for the Colts, why not? Okay, we'll play your game. You want to play your game, see what your value is? We'll, we'll trade you, but you're going to have to give us a first rounder. Now, how many teams do you think are going to jump up on that? When that becomes one, that becomes one of the most, you know, transitional positions, one of the easiest positions in the National Football League to transition to. And you see guys, sixth rounder, seventh rounder. Hell, I played with a sixth rounder that went to the Hall of Fame, rushed for 2,000 yards in Terrell Davis, and he's a great running back. But as soon as he got hurt, Orlando Scary had 1,200 yards. Oh, he got hurt? Guess what? Mike Anderson had 1,400 yards. Oh, he gets hurt? Ruben Drones has 1,200 yards. I mean, it's a cavalcade. We've talked about the Mike Shanahan system and how that has, you know, diminished the value of the running back. The running back and the value of the running back, listen, you could be incredibly productive, and that's great, and it's amazing. And, you know, you could be 35% of the offense. The odds are you're just not going to last. The odds are that, um, you know, you're going to get hurt. The odds are that we can take somebody at a quarter of the price, an eighth of the price, and have similar production. I mean, that's just the, that's just the you know, kind of case in point. So I almost feel like the Indianapolis Colts are going, okay, give us a first round, first rounder you can leave. And basically showing the value of the running back market in the National Football League. Basically saying, hey, man, go ahead. See if you can get a first rounder. Go ahead, work the deal. And, and maybe you would get a late first rounder, you know, because after, after, you know, 15 to 18, somewhere in there, pretty much from 18 on down, everybody's kind of a second rounder anyhow. So maybe you get a late first rounder. Well, that was, was going to be, gonna be my yeah. point, because if it, it's funny, because on one hand, the league has said that we're devaluing the running back, the, the individual, the person, but, we're, we're still insisting that the running game is important, right? So yeah. a team like Buffalo, for example, I, I, I could see Buffalo looking at a guy like Jonathan Taylor as being maybe the final piece for a team that's trying to win a championship. And sure, we'll give up a first-round pick. It's going to be late first round. So maybe there's a deal to be made there. No. Right, but then then you have to say, okay, if we make that deal, we give a late first rounder, and then we we have to sign you to a contract that you want to be signed to. Um, I just yeah, there's a lot that go there's a lot that goes on, um, you know, in this conversation. And the thing that I keep hearing from former players and guys on television this is how unfair it is, and I don't care. You know, like life ain't fair. It's you know, I mean, I look at that and say, man, hey, listen. You know, I look at ESPN and, and, and you know, analysts complaining about how, how unfair it is. Is it fair that Stephen A. Smith makes 10 times the money that you make? Guess what? Because Stephen A. Smith has a, you know, has a following and has a distinct skill set that they're paying him for. And you analysts, myself included, are a dime a dozen. We can run through you guys, right? And so the bottom line is, you know, not everybody can get paid equally. You know, it's what's the old uh, – um, back in the day, it was uh, Jimmy Johnson who would say, hey, everybody's treated fairly, but not everybody's treated equally. 
And, you know, the running back position is, hey, man, you're treated fairly based on the position. You're not going to be treated equally or, or you're not going to be treated the same or get paid the same as the receivers because now it's a league that throws the ball 65, 75, or six, between 65 and 70% of the time. And the running back position, like, hey, man, if you got a dominant X receiver, you're not rotating that guy in and out. Like, that guy is your guy, especially in critical situations in third down. Third down, you're taking your back out and putting a you know, scat back in. Like the, the most critical position in football, and I'll go back to John Elway told me this a long time ago. Hey, your guys' job is first and second down. That's what you guys do, you big fat guys in the running game. You're like first and second down, that's all. Hey, you guys can have that, right? That's you. Third down, that's what they pay me for. They pay me for third downs to convert. You're not taking your top. You think Devontae Adams is coming out in third down and six? You know, is, is Justin Jefferson coming out in third down and six? No. Is Travis Kelsey coming out in third down and six? No. You know why? Because we need to convert. You know who's coming out in third down and six? Running backs. Why? Because we want an extra receiver in there. Why? Because we want a scat back in there that's, you know, that's great in the Texas routes or they, they can run multiple routes and can split outside the numbers. Like, like they're the, the most critical down in football. You get subbed out. A lot of guys do. Now, some guys don't. But, like, like just understand the value of the position that you play. Like, so $10 million in, in and up for a guy who gets subbed out, you know, that, that I just, like, a, a position that has become, a position that has become um, kind of committee for the most part. Yeah, there's a couple of guys who are bell cows, you know, Travis Henry and those guys. But let's face it, the highest paid guy, uh, Christian McCaffrey is the highest paid guy. Why? Because of his versatility, because of his duality, because he can switch and you can put Debo Samuel in the backfield and he can run out there and play wide receiver and have the whole wide receiver route tree, not just running running back routes. So, like, there's just understand the, understand the market. It's just simple to me, it's simple market economics. And I don't feel, I don't feel bad that those guys are, you know, are, are not getting paid fairly or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't bother me. As as we work our way towards the start of the season, a lot of storylines still to talk about, and we'll try to cover them all here on this podcast. But here in Denver, and it's and it's really a big national story as well. Russell mm. Wilson. There's a lot of interest, a lot of curiosity in Russell Wilson. Is he going to bounce back after a horrible season last year? What camp right. are you in? Oh, I think he'll I think he'll bounce back and, and there's several reasons, Mike, because there's still some things that he's exceptional at. Now he's lost 15 pounds. He certainly looks quick. Uh you saw him run around the second preseason game, looked really good, athletic, you know, for the whole people that were in the camp. He's washed. He can no longer play, he can no longer move. And you people are idiots. Um, every one of you is an idiot, and I would accept your apology. So please, uh, you know what? Please send a note to the Singing Truth podcast and apologize to us. Um, th- that's just we really should get a PO box somewhere for for this. We so. should because there's for a all lot the apologies. of apologies. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We should get a PO box. Anyhow, <laughs> um, that stuff is stupid. Now, there's you know, for those of you who said, "Hey, man, he doesn't do a good job reading defenses or throwing in the middle of the field," it, like. I'll give it like good. You're right. But the bottom line, and I keep going back to this with Sean Payton, something Sean Payton taught me just about football in general is that my first responsibility as a coach is not to attack the weakness of the defense. It's not my first responsibility. My first responsibility as a coach is to mitigate my own weaknesses. 
And I say it all the time, Mike, put a guy in a position to fail and then watch him fail. Don't get mad at the guy. You're the dumbass that put him in the position to fail. You've got to know what your players can do, what they can't do. You've got to know what they're good at, what they're not good at. And there are very few players in the history of the National Football League that are good at everything. There's very few of them. They all have certain strengths and all have, you know, certain weaknesses. All of us do. And so your job is to put the guy in the best position to have success, not the best position to expose weaknesses. And that's one thing Sean will do with Russell Wilson. There will be a quarterback run game. There will be the RPO game. There will be, you know, some of those things. The thing about the RPO game that I think is really interesting, when you look at just like, for instance, you look at an RPO game, you're really looking, and then that's the run pass option game. So, like, I'll give you the simplest form. You fake a dive, right? And what you're reading is that near side linebacker or safety, whoever happens to be in the box, okay? When you flag that ball out to that running back, and you show that ball, boom, here it is. If that linebacker sucks up on the run, you throw it over his head, and they run what they call a glance route. It's just like a slant. And it's a one read. So all you're reading is that is that linebacker or that safety. You read him. If he sucks up, you throw it behind him to the guy running the glance. If he drops out to take that glance right away, you hand the ball off. And it's a numbers game. We've got better numbers than you. And it's that simple. And like that, to me, is one of the reasons young quarterbacks have a better opportunity to transition today's game than they did when I was playing. A lot more seven-step drops, a lot more reading out routes, you know, progressions, one, two, three, flood one side, whatever it is, one side to the back side, you know, in a two-by-two, two, all that kind of stuff. But this is, this is pretty simple stuff. So you'll do the things that Russell does well. He can do those things. He can run the ball. Um, he can run the deep play action stuff. So the play action stuff is the seven step drops where you're 11 yards, 11 and a half yards deep. And you're running, you keep it tight ends on one side and fullback or tailback on the other side. And you've got a seven man protection, three man route, or you got an eight man protection, two man route with somebody leaking late. Like that stuff he's exceptional at because he's so far back from the line of scrimmage. He can see everything. And you know, as well as I do, the guy's still got a hose. He can still throw it. And then his ability to make some off-schedule plays. And, you know, what you do with a guy like that is you say, hey, man, here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw this combination, this route combination on the front side. If it's not open, make something happen off-schedule. And then you make sure you teach your wide receivers, hey, listen, if the timing of the route doesn't, like you almost put a body clock on yourself. And you say, if the timing of the route, the ball is not out, bam, scramble drill. Go deep, come back. If you're short, if you run a short route, go deep. If you run a deep route, come back to your quarterback and have a feel for where your quarterback is. Give him a friendly target. And Seattle went to two Super Bowls running that. Seattle won a bunch of games essentially operating their offense that way. And what's wrong with that? Like, you could be really good doing that. Another great podcast, but I have to admit disappointing in that uh, no bears came to the window. So, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, I'm going to go. Are you really in I'll, Alaska? Are you sure you're yeah. in Alaska? Maybe you're not in Alaska. What, what I'll do is I'm going to go, I'll take my shirt off and wrap myself in bacon. Yeah. And then I'll go out there and see if any bears yes. roll around here. 
That'd Let's be a do good that. idea. That'd, that'd be yeah. great. We'll make that kind of like a bonus segment on the podcast, you know? Right. Tune in. Yes. Yes. Tune in as Mark gets mauled. <laughs> <laughs> well, have a great time ba- back there. I know uh, good to be back and connecting with family and back in your childhood home. A lot of great memories there. So uh, happy for you. All right, buddy. I will talk to you uh, later on in the week. Sounds good. Hey, for everybody involved in the Stink Cube Podcast, we uh, appreciate you guys. Download, subscribe, do all those things. Share it with your friends and family if you like it. If you don't like it, keep your mouth shut and don't tell anybody. Until uh, uh, later on in the week, we'll talk to you guys then.